Hi, it's Bob from Royal Spa. Soaking in a hot tub full of Epsom salts is the absolute best way to minimize everyday aches and pains. And we know all about Epsom salts at Royal Spa. Royal Spa hot tubs are the only hot tubs on the market that can safely and effectively use Epsom salts. Made right here in Indiana, Royal Spa hot tubs are the highest quality hot tubs on the market. Visit any one of our three Indianapolis locations or visit royalspa.com. Ah, Royal Spa. The introduction speaks for itself. Don Fisher, the legendary. As a matter of fact, I want to go so far as to say, because I'm fairly certain on this, Hall of Fame broadcaster for the Indiana basketball program. Don, there are probably multiple Hall of Fames with which you are a part, correct? A couple, yeah. (laughs) (laughs) So I'm just going to say thrice Hall of Famer. How's that? I just, because I like to say thrice, I'm assuming it's correct, right? I, I can't answer that question uh, honestly because I'm not 100% sure, but I know I'm in two. All right, well, okay, duo <laughs> Hall of Famer. How's that? Um, okay, Don, I'll begin with this. On your bingo card going into the Indiana-Purdue game on Saturday night, I'm going to guess that you did not think that Edie takes a three and it's good was going to be one of the things that you would be calling in that game, but I guess it was kind of representative of the way things went, right? Uh, it would definitely was representative because it wasn't expected, and yet it happened. <laughs> but uh, the kid's just a tremendous player, and whether he banks one in and called it or not, I could care less. All I know is he was part of kicking Indiana's butt, and that's that's the only issue. It's at large at this point. I saw after the game, Don, and I know that neither one of us are – you know, the coaches that are sitting in the huddle, right, and coming up with. and But Braden Smith, after the game, we just played the audio where he said, look, the lane was basically completely wide open for me, and you're going to take what the defense gives you, and I was surprised by it, but it was open, and so therefore uh, I was able to score there. And Smith had 19 in the game, went 8 for 13 overall. Was that a design by – like, did Purdue facilitate for those lane openings up, or, or was Indiana having mismatch – what would you attribute kind of a defensive breakdown there for Indiana? Well, I, I think, first of all, I, I'm not an X and O guy. I've said that many times on your air <laughs> with whoever's been hosting the show. Um, I, I don't go there from a coaching standpoint. What I did see was Indiana was unable to stop Braden Smith from going almost unobstructed to the rim on several occasions in the first half. He had 15 first half points. And most of those points were scored on just drives to the basket with nobody getting them stopped. So that's an execution perspective from my standpoint. Uh, How does that happen and why does it continue to happen? And obviously it did in the first half, not in the second half. I think he only had four points. So obviously Indiana did something different, but that adjustment was made sometime after halftime or at halftime, I would assume. Um, and Braden Smith had his way in the first half, and he was a big part of why they were able to build that 12-point lead. Voice of the Hoosiers, Don Fisher is our guest. Don, many opine by me, not speaking for you, but speaking for me, and then the question. I never really felt like they were going to win this game. I said on Friday it wasn't a matter of what Purdue wins or not. It was going to be how much. But in the first five, six minutes of that ball game, they're they're hanging around. It's like, hey, maybe maybe this is going to be an ugly game and they're going to get a hard-fought win in Mackey, potentially. When did things turn for you? Was it that field goal drought of six minutes late in the first half? When did it feel like it got away from Indiana? 
Well, that's that's when the drought occurred. There's no question about that. In fact, if you look back at the play-by-play sheets, uh, with six minutes and 13 seconds to go in the first half, Khalil Ware goes out of the ball game with his second foul. And from that point forward, and Indiana was down four points at that point. So they were right there. And then it just went to heck in a handbasket for the rest of the ball game. Uh, from, that per, 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 from that point forward, Purdue controlled the game. Uh, it was theirs for the taking. Uh, Indiana couldn't do anything about it. And without doubt, that's where the game turned. You know what, Don? I, I think it would be like I could go on the air today and for two hours rant about how Indiana didn't play well or Indiana didn't stop the drives or you know whatever it might be. And then I also think to myself, it almost would be selling Purdue short because that game to me was as much about just Purdue as outstanding. I'm not saying Indiana played well. I'm not saying that Indiana did what they wanted to do. But man, that is a—I I mean, that is a generationally good Purdue roster, is it not? I mean, at some point you got to just tip your cap and go. You know what? These guys are balanced. They are selfless, and they are smart basketball players. And they go out and maybe they toy with it for a while. But credit to Matt Painter and his group; those guys can flat play basketball. There's no doubt, um, and they're—they're they're extremely well coached. Matt does a tremendous job. He—he he recruits players to his style of basketball what he wants to do um they are always they've always got somebody that's seven foot or bigger <laughs> i mean think about back to the haas kid and and harms and all these people that they've had prior to Edie, uh and they've got another one on their roster that didn't play much in this ball game but he's a seven foot one or two guy um it's amazing uh matt knows where to get him how to get him uh, and he does a tremendous job, and you got to give him credit for that. And you're right; the, this program is on its way. And and the, to me, they're a definitive Final Four team this year. I know there are Purdue fans that want to go, "Don't put the hex on us, Fisher." Um, <laughs> and I'm not trying to do that. Uh, I do think that they are a Final Four team, and they very easily could win a national championship if they play up to their capability because they got all the tools. I mean. Uh, with one guy doesn't do as well as he normally does in ball games, somebody else steps up. Uh, in this particular game, Indiana was able to keep Fletcher Lawyer under control, and and to some degree, Lance Jones as well. But uh, everybody else steps up and does their job. Braden Smith in the first half of this game, obviously everybody played well in the second half. Mason Gillis, to me, is one of the best off-the-bench guys you could possibly have in your basketball team. They are just well put together. And uh, if, if things go as they should for the Boilermakers this year, they've got a chance to, to go all the way. Yeah, it's like whack-a-mole, right? I mean, like as soon as you think that you've got one of them controlled, then all of a sudden Mason Gillis pops up, and then all of a sudden Braden Smith pops up, and Fletcher Lawyer. I mean, you know, they're loaded, obviously. Um, Don, in terms of Indiana, you know, after the game, I listened to Mike Woodson, as a matter of fact, talking with you after the game on the broadcast, and he was saying – you know, there, there's still basketball to be played here. We're still technically, from a schedule standpoint, in the thick of it. Um, what sort of thing, like, have you seen from your perspective a confidence waiver from Indiana heading down the home stretch here? Because there are still possibilities for them to try to get those elusive, like, quality wins for their resume. But is the confidence wavered from your perspective in any way? Well, here's here's the thing, Jake. Take a look at this past week. Indiana goes to Ohio State, 
and they get themselves down 12 at halftime or at, yeah, 12 at halftime. It becomes an 18 point lead for the Buckeyes in the first two, three minutes of the second half. And then Indiana bounces back and fights back to win the ball game in the last seconds of the contest. I mean, there is no in or no consistency in this basketball team that you can count on. That's the thing I'm trying to talk about here in regard to this ball club and their confidence level. If they were down 12 to Ohio State in Columbus, and granted the crowd there is not like it is at Mackey, that kind of thing, but you're still fighting a crowd. You're still fighting the, the lack of a home court. Uh, you're down 18 points, and you're able to come back. Well, there's obviously something going on there that's a positive, right? And then you look at the first half of the ball game against Purdue, and all of a sudden that that team looks like they've got a chance to, to maybe go into halftime and single digits down seven or eight maybe at the worst. They get down 12, and there's no in the second half there's nothing to be done that they can do to stop what Purdue was able to put on the floor. My problem with this basketball team is its inconsistency to play 40 minutes of basketball. Their inability to do that from half to half, from game to game, it just doesn't happen on a consistent basis that they play some of their best basketball. And obviously the bench right now has really kind of slid. It's, I mean, they're only getting, I mean, they're only got a couple of guys off the bench that are doing much. And yet CJ Gunn comes in the ball game and scores 13 points in what? 19 minutes in the ball game. I mean, you just don't know where it's going to come from. And that's part of the goodness of, of what Purdue puts out there because any given night, they've got two or three different guys that can, that can really build you up and, and keep the confidence going where with Indiana, you might get one guy doing that, but you don't get three or four. And, and that's one of the big problems with this basketball team right now. Don, do you think that's a maturity issue? And I don't mean like that guys are sitting around, you know, just not having played a lot issue in terms of one another or just like an overall kind of cohesiveness of, of understanding roles and, and buy-in, if you will, from this roster. Well, we're 24 games into the season, Jake. <laughs> if this team doesn't understand their role at this point, if they don't understand their roles, uh, I don't know what to tell you. Um, you're 24 games in. Your team is, is like I said, inconsistent on an almost game-by-game basis in some way, shape, or form. Uh, there's just nothing there that you can count on consistently. And, and that's, that's all I'm saying. I'm not, I'm not putting this on coaches. I'm not putting on players. It's the issues that are going on right now. All you're doing is looking at the, at the situation and you're trying to figure out what is the issue. And I can't put my finger on it. It's, it's got to be something inside the program at this juncture. That's all I can tell you. Hall of Fame voice of the Hoosiers, Don Fisher, is our guest. Don, people can debate what the standard is in Indiana year by year. When you have five banners, it's always contend for a national title, make a Final Four, honor the echoes of yesteryear. I get all that. But at minimum, the standard to most is to make the NCAA tournament every year. And that's likely off the table this season. But my larger question is, I don't think this is a hot seat year for Mike Woodson. That's not the question I'm asking you. When you look at the staff, though, and you look at the players, because I'm worried about the bottom kind of falling out on this thing, two home games against Northwestern Nebraska, then on the road at Penn State, and the list goes on and on for their remaining games. Who has the most to gain? Who has the most to lose from these next six, seven, eight games? 
You mean player-wise? Yeah, either way, player, staff, in terms of, hey, we need to see this to get a better understanding for what needs to be changed in the 24-25 campaign. Well, I mean, that always boils down to players at the end of the day. Uh, does it not? I mean, you're, you're looking yeah. at the guys who have to execute the game plan on the floor. If a game plan isn't being executed, then there's a reason why. And obviously, at this point in the time of the season, this team – these guys ought to know their role. They ought to understand what the coaches have asked them to do. And at this juncture, you've got to say the players are the only ones who can do it because the coaches can't come out there and play for them. So, uh, right, if they don't understand their roles at this point, then what are we doing? I guess what, I guess what, I, what I'm more looking at there is in today's college basketball, as you know, where the transfer portal is present and people can take either easy way outs or put themselves in better situations, teams are also doing the same of figuring out who wants to be a part of this team moving forward and what type of changes you have to make in the offseason. Well, and, and, and from, that, from that perspective alone, I, I would say this is a toss-up on this roster at the end of the season. I mean, I think these next seven games are going to be pivotal to what we're going to see at the end. Uh, I don't know how anybody else looks at it, but there's no doubt. I mean, they're going to lose players like Xavier Johnson and Anthony Walker, whose eligibility is up. Who else in this roster is still able to come back and play another year? Will Trey Galloway come back? Will Malik Renew come back? Will Khalil Ware come back? Or what are they looking at now? I mean, I think these next seven games are going to be pivotal in regard to who is on this roster a year from now. Don, I'm going to end on a positive note because, as you know, Don, I mean, I'm all sunshine and gumbo. Are you hanging up on me then? (laughs) (laughs) That's right. No, 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 we're not. Trust me, I'm right there with you, right? But, um, and I've been pretty vociferous about Indiana, my frustrations for certain. But, and I don't know how much, Don, so I don't want to put you in a bad spot here. I don't know how much you get a chance. Uh, maybe just in coming in going down and being at a practice or to interview Coach Woodson where you get to see the women's team at Indiana, but they are having an outstanding season. They're 20 and three and a huge congratulations and a tremendous honor for McKenzie Holmes to become the all-time leading scorer in Indiana women's basketball history. What they've done with that program and um, capturing the the interest and the excitement of the fan base down there and 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 doing great things, I think absolutely should be commended. There's no question about that. Terry Morin deserves all the credit. She's put her rosters together here for the last several years now. Uh, they've gent- they gently started building it uh, You know, back when she first came on board. She has done a remarkable job of building the program, getting it to where she thought it needed to be, uh, where they could start getting recruits to come in here and be excited about coming to play for IU. And that's where they're at right now. And there's no question the, the job that Mackenzie Holmes has done, I mean, she's just a tremendous player, and she's just a great gal. Um, and when you listen to her talk, how in, intelligent she is, uh, how she can actually tell you exactly what's going on and how confident this team is playing, that, that to me is probably the biggest part of what we're seeing between the men and the women right now is how confident the women play uh, in the, the degree of uh, how it lends into its winning ways and how incompetent sometimes this Indiana men's basketball team is going into ball games and and when you realize confidence is a major factor uh, well, there's no question that you've got it going if you've got that confidence level with all your team and within the program and right now I don't know that we can say that about men. 
The men's side of it inside Indiana men's basketball with Mike Woodson taking place with Don Fisher. You can hear it on this station tonight immediately following the Pacers game. And again, the women 20-3, and McKenzie Holmes now the all-time leading scorer in Indiana women's basketball history. Don, appreciate it. As always, look forward to talking to you again next week. Thanks for having me, guys. All right, Don yeah. Fisher, the voice of the Indiana Hoosiers. Life is full of things to manage. Your work, your family, your plans, and your treatment. Consider Kesimpta, Ofatumumab 20-milligram injection. You can take it yourself from the comfort of home. If you're ready for something different, ask your healthcare provider about Kesimpta and check out the details at kesimpta.com. Brought to you by Novartis Pharmaceuticals Corporation. Welcome back to Dealing Together. First caller? I bought three sweaters to get the fourth free. Oh, you got fleeced. Next caller? I traded my old Samsung at AT AT&T for a new Samsung Galaxy S24 Plus and chose my plan. That's not a bad deal. It is not. Our best smartphone deals. Your choice of plan. Learn how to get the new Samsung Galaxy S24 Plus with Galaxy AI on us with eligible trade-in. AT&T. Connecting changes everything. Offers vary by device. Subject to change. S24 plus 256 gigabyte offer available for a limited time. Terms and restrictions apply. See att.com slash Samsung for details. So the season is complete in the National Football League. The Kansas City Chiefs are your Super Bowl champions. I actually was curious, gentlemen, before uh, Kansas City took the lead, I thought if San Francisco does win this game, I wonder what the pregame odds were on Jennings for being the MVP because he would have been MVP, right? I started looking at Harrison Butker uh, MVP odds because of the where the Chiefs' offense was. Like maybe they're going to win just a field goal game. I don't know where Jennings was, but that same end, Jake, I imagine it was pretty high. I think he was like plus 250 or something like that going in. But um, nonetheless, Kansas City wins the game. Joining us now to talk about that and more is Mike Chappell, WXIN and CBS4, of course, longtime writer for the Indianapolis Colts. Chap, uh, I guess the question is this. Patrick Mahomes to me last night, and there aren't a lot of guys that you can say this about, but tell me if you agree with this. He dictated the way San Francisco ended up playing, especially in the fourth quarter, where when you have an elite-level talent like that, you start to kind of become dishonest with yourself in terms of the way you go about things because of the fear factor of knowing that Mahomes at any time can pull that rabbit out of the hat. And I thought that San Francisco kind of got away from what they needed to do. And then other teams, you look at it and you go, can we get that out of our quarterback in time? The Colts would want that eventually for Anthony Richardson. But do you agree with the fact that that's kind of Mahomes' edge aside from the X's and O's and the execution of it? Well, that's that's what all the those mobile quarterbacks do, Lamar Jackson, who had an awful game when they got beat. But when the play breaks down, that guy can or, – or the play's extended, not necessarily breaks down, but when, when the defense – when the defense has the right scheme and has has you beaten, that guy still beats you. And that, that's the one thing that Chris Ballard told us uh, in January. He said, when you have – he was talking Richardson, but when you have that guy, people play you differently. It, it's got to be so frustrating for a coordinator to have the right defense dialed up and then the quarterback escapes to the right, extends a play, either finds a guy or picks up the three yards or – what was it? He picked up eight yards on fourth and one, whatever. That's where it really makes it hard. You know, Peyton Manning would never do that, would seldom do that, because that wasn't who he was. He didn't have that skill set. There's five or six guys in the league that you have the right thing. You've got everything done correctly. Nobody botched that assignment. Nobody got out of their gap. And he still beats you, and you think, man, 
you know, and there's so many, there's so few of those guys. It, it, it's funny how you look and, and people want that quarterback and there just aren't, you know, there's like five guys, six guys maybe that are that guy. And if you don't have it, you want that guy. And it's, it's just not like when the Colts were going through this quarterback carousel, you you want that guy, you want Joe Burrow, you want Josh Allen. Well, that, you just, it just has to, it has to be 1998 and things fall into place and you get Peyton Manning or the same thing with Andrew Luck. And if, 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 the, if the golf gods aren't winking at you, it's a tough sledding, but Mahomes, you know, I, not to, I, I, Robin Miller got me out of betting because he just did. God bless him. Uh, but <laughs> how, how you ever bet against Patrick Mahomes, I don't know. I really don't. The Chiefs were, were really a flawed team. Defense is pretty good. But they, they just didn't have – that wasn't one of their better offensive teams at all. But Mahomes, the, the, the definition of greatness is that player lifts players around him and makes them better. Manning did that with so many players, and Mahomes does that with guys that like like Hardman. I mean, what he started the season with the Jets after the Chiefs let him go. I mean, you make you make other just marginal guys Super Bowl heroes, and that's what the great players do. Well, and I mean, chap, to that point, you know, it's kind of like New England. You know, for New England, so many years that you thought to yourself, well, this is it for New England. They've hit their ceiling. And then you're like, man, they just keep plugging guys in. Well, no, they have the engine that allows you to put in, you know, spare parts all over the place. And I think we saw the Colts, once Manning went down, we saw like, holy cow, there were a lot of things he was masking here, right? Right. One of the players for Kansas City that does seemingly stand on his own would be Travis Kelsey. So the question is with Indianapolis, they have clearly been trying to rotate through in a tight end room that has been crowded to find out if they can get a yard after catch tight end in the group. Do the Colts have that on roster right now? Probably not. You, you see things, you know, Will Mallory showed you some nice things in in, in glimpses. Jelani Woods, I mean, you thought so last year, and this year he misses the season with hamstrings. Drew Ogletree, you know, we probably will never see him play here again. Uh, and Kylan Granson, you sort of like him, but but then he kind of disappears. No, they haven't. And Molly Cox, God love him, he's maximized everything going from power forward to football, but I think we've seen the best of him. So, no, I, I've seen some mock drafts where they get the, the tight end from, from uh, Georgia if he's there at 15 and there's probably a good chance he won't be there and gosh you just don't take tight ends in the top 10 you just don't rare it's kind of like, it's kind of like taking a guard in the top you know six it's just not done very often but with, with i'm going to write about it later in the week that's when chris ballard says and even Shane Sykin, we need to get more explosive you know i don't know that guy's on the roster i i just You'd like to think that Michael Pittman's game has more of that, and it probably does with Richardson. But it's going to require that tight end who can get down the seam. And God, look at all these the the the, the finalists, the final four in, the, in in the NFL, and they all had that quality tight end. I mean, I realize Mark Andrews was coming back from from injury and all that, but Kittle and Kelsey and all these guys, boy, that's that's what you wanted. 
you know, all those guys, none of those guys were taken that high. So you got to identify them and, and make that part of your offense. And maybe that that's probably the part that's missing on this roster is, you know, we hearken back to the Dallas Clark days and the things that he did at his size. I mean, he was barely a tight end. And in most of the time they, they kept with his strength and they didn't ask him to block defensive ends because that's not what he did. But in the passing game, he was such a, a force. And that's probably what's missing on this off. One of the main things that's missing on this offense. Dean Mike Chapel of Fox 9 and CBS 4 is our guest. Chap, during the Brady-Manning eras, I always thought Peyton was the better quarterback. I always thought that if you put Peyton in New England with that defense, that they would have been as successful as they were. And I know that's this classic sports talk conversation, but then Brady has the longevity and does things older than any other player ever did and still did it at a high level, and it becomes a complicated conversation. Patrick Holmes is 28 years old, three Super Bowls, three Super Bowl MVPs. He's now third all-time in playoff wins behind Montana and Brady. I'm not trying to make a full GOAT conversation here for him. I want to let his career play out, but when you look at him, it's Brady, Montana, and him right now in my eyes. Do you see it that way? Yeah, it's like the Tiger Woods thing. What he did so early in his career, just piling them up. And yeah, let's let it play out. But if Mahomes doesn't play another game, he's the first ballot Hall of Famer. Which to say that about a guy who's 28 years old and has such a short career, that's that's very, very, that's Gail Sayers like, as far as discussion of the mark he's made. So. And, and there's no reason to believe that that thing should fall off. Uh, the, the only thing that, that's gonna, that would probably keep it from just really getting crazy in numbers is the bounce of the ball, is that he, that he doesn't convert fourth and one on, on that keeper or, or you know an, another play here or there uh, along the way to, to where the football guy says, now, remember the scene of uh, Peyton sitting on the, uh, on the bench in the AFC Championship game? when Brady got the ball back yeah. and he's sort of praying. And he, I think he said, finally, he's uh, you don't seldom pray for things, but he's saying, you know, hey, God, you've given Tom quite, or Tom's <laughs> had quite a few. Maybe this one time, let us win one. So, he, but but barring that, that screwy stuff, why won't he be back? Not every year for Christ. Surely not every year. I mean, the, the league's not built for that, right, with the parity in well, it. It's not. And, and that's the other thing. The league is not it, – it really wasn't built – for the Patriots to do this because of the salary cap and it's, but but when you when you, we've, we've said this ad nauseum when you got that guy everything's possible you know Peyton would have had more would 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 and people hate hate Peyton would have done more here had the timing not been the same and and the Patriots were were, were in the way out or San Diego they had trouble with San Diego in the playoffs a couple times but but I, I just it's, it's you're not supposed to do this because of Josh Allen and Lamar Jackson and Joe Burrow and how hard it is to get there. Yes, to win it. Yes, to win it. But to get there is so hard. I mean, how, go back to midseason, and people had really written off the Chiefs. Remember, the receivers suck and they can't do this. And the same thing with Buffalo. And you find a way in the great quarterbacks. I was sitting there in the first half, and I'm thinking, man, they're letting Mahomes hang around. 
And that's just yeah. not that's just not smart. Listen, it's just not. I, I sent a tweet at one point that said because this was just how it felt. And, you know, it wasn't an original thought. I think the entire, as I mentioned earlier, you know, a nine-year-old girl from Singapore that was watching for Taylor Swift could have figured this out, right? <laughs> and by that, I mean, it felt like San Francisco was in complete dominant control for the first, yes. like, two and a half quarters of that game. And you looked at it and said, and yet they're keeping him within one score. That's that's suicide. You can't do that. You have to take advantage. And and Brock Purdy did not play poorly. I you know I thought he he was fine. It just was a really good defensive trenches game, and they could not take advantage of uh, of Mahomes not being corralled. And then chap once they scored quickly off the muffed punt. At that point, it was like it was over because you made yeah. the mistake of of giving him letting him sniff it right. Yeah, and that's what the great quarterbacks do. And that's what, you know, I don't think anyone would argue that Mahomes is the much better quarterback than Tom Brady. He just is. I mean, the things he can do and all this stuff. Now, again, the championships and the sustained Michael Jordan-esque brilliance, that's what really separated Brady. Give him a chance. He would put his foot on your throat. And, and you'd be breathing your last because that's that's what the great ones, the really great ones, Larry Bird, those guys, Magic Johnson, those guys were just assassins. And, and whether you were playing football or you know dominoes or whatever, they're going to kick your ass. And that's what Mahomes does. And again, that that was probably the worst collection of skill players he's had. It was, you know, they still it's not probably, really chap, chap. It's not probably. I can I can definitively well, tell you it's accurate. It, it's yeah. And they led the league in drops, chap. I, that's what I'm saying. In the first half, did Kelsey have one catch, yeah, one target, yeah, one yard? Yeah. I mean, yet they, that, that's what I'm saying. And I'm sure the Niners, deep down, Shanahan and the staff thought, man, what was it? Was it 10 to 3 at the half? I think it was. Yep, yep. They're thinking, man, we ought to be up 17 uh, three. It, it's I, I think in all the playoff games this year, and I think it, all three with Super Bowl wins. They came back from yeah. They were down at ten at least. Yep. yep. That, that's just, that's that's obscene. <laughs> but th- but that that's what those quarterbacks do. Peyton being down twenty eight to three, you know, back in 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 the 06 playoffs to, to Brady. You're thinking because remember the theme that year was it's our time and well, maybe not. But that's what those quarterbacks do. They give you that chance. Andrew Luck did the same thing. Remember it was thirty eight to ten against the Chiefs yep. in the playoffs. Yep. And he he gives you a chance. Now you, now you got to do things along the way. You you know the Colts had to help the Vikings overcome thirty three zero. But when that quarterback, when you don't put him away, and I, I would think thirty eight to ten is putting a guy away. But but I, I just I just always had the feeling that the, the Niners were, were were so dominant and the Chiefs were just just clinging and clinging. And then when you don't put them away, they say, okay, here we come. And and I don't think anyone had any doubts, really, how that game was going to end. Chap, we talked a lot in the early goings about where the Colts are, how close they are. And you're right, you need the magical quarterback. If you don't have the magical quarterback, you have to have a perfect defense. And even then, sometimes that's not enough, as we saw a couple of times in this postseason, Baltimore most notably, who felt like they had both. When you look at the Colts, from Anthony Richardson, just him, and where the Colts' defense is, both of which you need more growth from, which is closer to being where Buffalo, where San Francisco, where Kansas City was, of kind of having the best of both worlds on both sides of the ball? 
Which side of the Colts? Yeah, which which side are they closer on? Wow, that's a good question. Uh, I want to say offensively, but that so much depends on – not so much. Everything depends on Richardson, and we're really basing all the optimism on four games, which is really – he's played now, what, uh, is it 19 games? Was it 15 in college? Uh, And four – Really, and I, went, I looked at the math, he played three games. When you look at his snaps, he played three games. That is just, for, for, for me to sit here and say, yeah, I really, I really feel like this offense is going to take off because they got the quarterback. Uh, it, it's sort of blind face, and it's sort of all they've been through, this guy has got to be the guy. Because if he's not, you're looking at darkness for another 10 years, eh, six or seven years. And it'll be hard for this franchise to, to deal with that. But everything we saw, uh, th- this guy does a lot of what the better quarterbacks do, buying time and getting outside. He had four touchdown runs and, and again, the four starts. And the things he and, and Jonathan Taylor can do and Michael Pittman and, and get another receiver in here uh, who, can, who can be a number two guy. And then, you know, yes, you need the defense. I mean, the, the, the 2000s, you know, with, with, with like with, with all that Manning and Harrison and Edgern and all these guys, Reggie did, boy, the defense really slammed the door. Uh, I thought the defense is the reason they won the Super Bowl in 06, you know, with the Bob Sanders and, you know, let's not forget Rob Morris played really well during, during that run. And that's why the defense, I think, needs to be better and it will get better. The defensive line looked pretty good. The linebackers looked pretty good. Secondary scares me. It needs it needs help at corner. It needs help at safety. But that's what the off season's for. They've got they've got they've got the the, the flexibility to do something. You know, even re-signing Pittman, or even retaining Pittman with a franchise tag or a long term deal, you still have you still have the flexibility without doing anything crazy. You know, restructuring or cutting players. You still have the, the, the wherewithal to re-sign Kenny Moore, to re-sign Grover Stewart, to go out and get, to still go out and get a receiver, a free agent receiver in the twelve, fifteen million dollar range. If, if 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 you really want to be bold, which I don't know if they would be that bold. So, yeah, I, it's still got to be offensive driven because of the quarterback. I, I I wish I had more evidence to to reinforce my faith that he's the right guy, but. He has to be the right guy. Mike Chappell is our guest, of course, talking about the Colts and the Super Bowl from last night. Obviously, those two are separate things. Uh, Chapp, I know you talked with Kevin and Andy about this. For our listeners, I wanted to expand upon it. You know, I thought it was really cool, as I mentioned a couple of times last night, and I know it was a local, not a national spot, but it was pretty cool to sit there during the Super Bowl. I don't know if you caught it, Chapp. But an ad comes on for Indiana Donor Network, whose ads you hear on this radio yes. station, with Dwight yes. Freeney. And I thought, holy cow, you want to talk about – and my understanding is, I can tell you, that the Donor Network, Nicole, who oversees their marketing, a year ago just thought, who can I get that would be a really good spokesperson for us? And she just kind of out of a, a hat pulled out Dwight Freeney and thought, I'm going to give this a shot. And man, did that pay off because here you are during the Super Bowl and he during the week that he – Finds out he's a Hall of Famer. So, in terms of the Hall of Fame vote for Freeney, I'm not going to say were you surprised because you're a voter, but can you kind of take us through what the last year, from last year's vote 
to this year's vote, I guess what changed? Good question, because because last year, again, it's you have the 15, and then we cut it down to 10, and then it was cut to 5. And it really matters that you go from 10 to 5. It just shows you the, the, the depth of your support. Last year, Freeney didn't go from 10 to 5. He, he was eliminated. Jared Allen did. So I kind of thought, well, you know, here we are. Cause, and Jared Allen has the more sacks and all this. And at that position, you kind of go by numbers. But the more I looked into it and, and, and talked to people, the and I mentioned, I've mentioned this before, but we all have our, our thoughts of Dwight Freeney and how dominant and great of a player he was here in Indy. But I'm telling you, nationally, the perception of Dwight Freeney is more. It just is. Uh, had a chance to talk to Joe Thomas, the you know, Cleveland left tackle, and he said, Best pass rusher I've, I played against in my 11 years. Best. And he played against most of these guys. He said, yeah, he said, Julius Pepper, he could get a sack on you if you got sloppy. Well, that's that's hardly a compliment. <laughs> so he just said with Freeney with the spin move. He said he revolutionized the position. So nationally, uh, the perception of, of Freeney was just over the top. And I saw a tweet to where Jared Allen wasn't the least bit happy that he got jumped by Freeney. You know, well, deal with it. You know, Reggie's dealing with that now for five years. Uh, so, yeah, I, I was really pleased with Freeney. I talked to Dwight a few days before that. Because, again, I'd known about it. As You know, we've talked and you've asked me and I've lied to you or not told you or whatever. But I've known for like a month. And I talked to Dwight about 10 days ago, and he was just over the top, please. And he thought he should have been a first ballot guy last year, which tells you these guys think about themselves. You know, but that we put in DeMarcus Ware last year ahead of Freeney. So, yeah, it, it's pretty cool. And it's the one thing on Freeney with that donor network, they, they ran that, that's those spots during – the season that that's not that wasn't a new thing. That's something they've shown. Which right, it's been all I, year. Yeah, I always thought I always thought that was a, not strange, but he's not really a local guy. You know, he he's from Connecticut and he lives in West Palm Beach, and but but such a such a great ambassador. Hey, he's done a great job with that. You know what I mean? Yeah. Like he he did everything they asked, and he's done a really good job of promoting that for them. Right, and, and that's what you want. That's when you've got the platform. Some guys, not a lot of guys, use that. Zaire Franklin. I mean, what what he's done. Kenny Moore. What these guys have done. And, and hopefully, Anthony Richardson. But when you've got that platform, Frank Reich did a great job. When you've got that platform, and still does, with with his, with his foundation. That was it. Was it not not now or not? Uh, I'll mess it up. The the one on uh, on protecting you know young kids. That's what you want. And for Freeney to do this is really cool. And he's a great guy. And what's funny, the, 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 what, talking to him, and I did, you know, I've been away from Dwight for a little bit, but he said, "Yeah, he said I was. Uh, we had this at we had this event at. Uh, I play golf every day with Michael, and we had it at Michael's Michael's uh, uh, golf club. And I said, Michael, he said, yeah, Michael Jordan. I said, you mean you mean Michael Jordan? You know, like right, like right. like it's not 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 Michael Jordan, my mailman, but Michael Jordan, you know." the NBA guy. And he said, yeah. And normally if you're playing golf and you say, we're going to play at, at Jake's course, well, it's, that's where you normally play. Well, no, this, this was Michael Jordan's golf course. He owns a darn thing. So it, it was kind of funny. I, I thought it was a cool thing that he's best friends with Michael Jordan. Can you imagine 
the competitive nature of their golf rounds, I mean, that's got to be off the charts. And not only but, that, uh, but, you know, a guy that he probably grew up, you know, he would have been vintage age to grow up. Right. It, you know, 11-year-old Dwight Freeney is worshiping right. Jordan as a player, right? We're in, and we're then, in, 20, we're in a 23 jersey. Yeah. Um, so, and, and that's the name of the course. is Golf Course 23. If, but, yeah, it is really cool. And, and I'm looking forward to getting together with Dwight and Canton and before Canton and all that. So it'll be a great time in August uh, with Dwight Freeney and the Colts because the Colts always do it up nice when they've got a guy in the Hall of Fame. So what is the next step then for Reggie Wayne, Chap, for, for myself, who's ignorant to it, and for our listeners? You know, like in baseball, you get so many years, and then you go into, like, the Veterans Committee, and they right. – So for Reggie Wayne, in terms of the ballot, the process is what, and that goes for how long if he is continually denied? Yeah, it's Groundhog Day. Uh, you, you're, you're eligible for, for 20 years, uh, and then you go into the senior pool, which is which is really where you don't want to go because there's a ton of great players, great players in that. Uh, yeah, we'll, we'll do it again next year. And I was PO'd, not that Andre Johnson got in. Well, yeah, I was because he got in. Because their, their, their resumes are similar. Reggie's is better. It's just better. Uh, and normally we take the guys who've waited longer when we've got guys who are apples and apples that are really close together. Reggie's been waiting five years. Andre was third year. Tory Holt's been waiting ten years. And I think I think Reggie's a better can a much better candidate than Tory Holt. But that's you know. So hopefully next year it's just a, and he'll be a finalist again next year. And what's going to be I, I I'm dreading facing Reggie because I feel like I've let him down. And, uh, you know, I, I hope that's not the case. But every year is different. And next year we're going to have – there's 10 guys that didn't get in. Probably six of them come back into the room. Some of them won't. And then you've got Adam Vinatieri, who I think, in my mind, is you say Adam Vinatieri and you sit down. He's, he, he, he's, he, he's a Peyton Manning uh, type of guy. That, that Of course he's a Hall of Famer first ballot. Eli Manning. It's his first year. I think that's going to be a long, long debate. I mean, he's got a really strange career. He does. And then you got Reggie. You got Jared Allen. So hopefully next year. And I think I think in, in in the room in our room, we decided that we've got to get somebody in. So they got in Andre Johnson, which again I'm PO'd over, but I'm one of fifty votes. And then it's got to be another receiver because in a few years, Larry Fitzgerald comes up. You know, and he's going to be an interesting, you know, debate first ballot or not because of the, his length of his career and his numbers. So, Reggie doesn't want to hear this. Reggie will be in the Hall of Fame. He will. That's I'm 99.9 percent convinced of it. Edger had to wait six years, which he wasn't happy about that until he got in. Then he said it. The waiting didn't matter, but trust me, it mattered while he was waiting. Reggie's tired of it. I understand he should be. He'll get in hopefully next year. Uh, you just keep fighting the fight. And I, I think somebody mentioned that, and I sort of agree, which is unfair. I think there's a Colts fatigue setting in. Hey, these guys won one Super Bowl, and you're putting all these guys in. Well, no, they, they were that great of players. They all were. So, so we'll see. But I, I, I'm convinced Reggie gets in. He's just got to wait a little longer. And for those that were confused by Chap's comment about Reggie Wayne and you feel like you let him down, that's because it is the responsibility of each writer that covered a player to 
objectively give the right. platform for and sell the case for the player in which the other voters vote off of that. And that is usually a rundown of statistics and impact within the game and the franchise. Chap, we appreciate right. you, the time you, as always. Right. What's that? Yeah, that, yeah, you got it right. And then we have debate, and then we vote, and then we got people pissed off like me. <laughs> <laughs> and then you go out and you play 23 rounds of golf together at, at the 23 Club, right? There you go. There you go. Chap, appreciate it. When you guys. Appreciate right it. Mike Chappell from CBS4. Life is full of things to manage. Your work, your family, your plans, and your treatment. Consider Kesimpta, Ofatumumab 20-milligram injection. You can take it yourself from the comfort of home. If you're ready for something different, ask your healthcare provider about Kesimpta and check out the details at kesimpta.com. Brought to you by Novartis Pharmaceuticals Corporation. Welcome back to Dealing Together. First caller? I bought three sweaters to get the fourth free. Oh, you got fleeced. Next caller? I traded my old Samsung at AT&T for a new Samsung Galaxy S24 Plus and chose my plan. That's not a bad deal. It is not. Our best smartphone deals. Your choice of plan. Learn how to get the new Samsung Galaxy S24 Plus with Galaxy AI on us with eligible trade-in. AT&T. Connecting changes everything. Offers vary by device. Subject to change. S24 plus 256 gigabyte offer available for a limited time. Terms and restrictions apply. See att.com slash Samsung for details. So if we were to cover all our bases in talking about college basketball locally, obviously Kevin Bowen, a fan of Notre Dame, you hear that mentioned every once in a while on the morning show. We talked to Don Fisher earlier about Indiana, and Indiana State now being ranked in the top 25 in two different polls. We referenced earlier in the program Butler and, of course, the magic of Hinkle and the voice of the Purdue Boilermakers joining us now, and he is the pride of Evansville. Rob Blackman from the University of Evansville, I mean, uh, joining us now. Rob, we'll begin with this. I asked Don Fisher the same. I will ask the same of you, and that is, did you have on your bingo card Zach Eady for three triple time? Did you know going into the game that that was going to be something that you would be saying on Saturday night? Did not. Did not see that one coming. Obviously, he's only attempted one three his entire career, and that was earlier in the season, so... Uh, no, the odds said that he would not be shooting a three-pointer in that game. But, hey, what do you know? He uh, Not only did he shoot it, he, as Matt Painter said in the post-game interview, uh, he shot it so badly that it went in. So good, good for him. <laughs> hey, I want to begin with this, Rob. Braden Smith, after the game, mentioned the fact that he was surprised that the lane was so open and that there was essentially no defense there, but you take what the defense gives you. Did Purdue do something schematically to open up lanes for their guards, or was that just simply Indiana breaking down in the way that they wanted to attack things? Yeah, I think it's probably more on Indiana only because Purdue has run that same play a thousand times, it feels like, this year. Most of the time, not always, but most of the time, it results in Braden. Well, a couple things happen. Uh, defensively, teams that have chosen to play drop coverage with their big and go underneath that screen there at the top of the key area, uh, Braden's been much more grace, aggressive this year in, in shooting a three-point shot. Now, that's by design. Matt Painter, that was one of his uh, major sticking points or coaching points with Braden in the offseason is we really need you to be more aggressive shooting the three if they're going to play drop coverage. Uh, so we have seen that this year. Uh, we've seen teams that if they if they hedge it just enough that Braden can only get to about 
15, 16 feet, he's been pretty good about rising up and making that, that jump shot from the elbow. And in the rarest of occasions, option number three is that lane just opens up and he finds his way all the way to the basket. Now, that has happened a few times here and there this year, uh, but the frequency in which it was happening, especially in the first half against Indiana, uh, yes, we had not seen anything like that. So I'm, I'm assuming that was a breakdown for Indiana defensively because it's nothing new for Purdue. They, like I said, they've been running that, that, uh, that same play all season long. Voice of the Boilermakers, Rob Blackman is our guest. Rob, Boilermakers 22-2, 11-2 in the Big Ten, projected by many if they continue to take care of business to likely land the top overall seed in the NCAA tournament. When we turn the clocks back a year ago, the talk is always, oh, they were a year ahead. When you look at the preseason projections, nobody thought they were going to be the team that they were and then to be able to be a one seed and have the expectations where things were. We know how it ended, but then it's a redemption arc this entire offseason. Does it feel different this year? And if so, in what way does it feel different for you compared to years past? Well, probably two words, uh, and those words would be Lance Jones. <laughs> he is uh, what a find he was in the offseason portal. And this is not a knock on David Jenkins Jr., who was our, our fifth-year transfer last year, but he he just not did not bring to the table what Lance Jones does, especially in transition offense. Uh, I think I've talked to you guys about this before, but has of I think has of the last game it must have been I think it was a Wisconsin game. Purdue already has more transition points this year, fast break points, than they had all of last season. Uh, And that's in 35 games last season. The reason for that is the Lance Jones effect. He just makes Purdue so much more athletic and able to get the ball out and really push tempo. Braden Smith has always been able to do that, but last year he didn't have anyone who could do it with him. So it's kind of hard to be a one-man fast break uh, and have any success. At least this year he has a running mate to get out and really push the ball in transition. Um, so I think that is the biggest difference. Look, is Purdue a better across the board because although these guys are one year older? Yes, obviously. And especially, you know, I think that's the easy answer, especially for, for Braden Smith and Fletcher Lawyer because they were true freshmen last year. And obviously it was all brand new to them, especially the grind of a of a, of a 31-game regular season in, in, in college basketball. So, uh, and the fact that, look, I would also say this, uh, I know Zach Eady, uh, was the player of the year last year, obviously. But last year was also his first year as a full-time starter and his first time ever playing more than 19 minutes a game. So it was also a little bit new to him, too. So you have your guys that are back from last year that are a year more seasoned. They do have that experience under their belt. So that helps, but uh, without question, the biggest the biggest addition is Lance Jones. He just, just offensively, he makes Purdue so much more dynamic than they were a season ago. Purdue basketball voice Rob Blackman joins us. Rob, I asked Don Fisher this earlier. I want to get the Purdue perspective from this same question. While I thought going in, Purdue was going to win big. I felt like it was going to be a big win for the Boilers just on the way the season has gone for both these teams and Mackey being Mackey. But Indiana's up for kind of the first six and a half minutes of this game. When did you feel it turned in Purdue's favor? Clearly it starts to happen on the six-minute scoring drought Indiana goes on in the first half, but when did takeover mode arrive for the Boilermakers when you look at this game? As funny as it sounds, uh, when Purdue finally made a three-point shot, uh, you know, Purdue started that game 0-7 shooting from three, which you just felt like, well, I should say this, at least for me, because obviously I'm there for every single game, 
And so I know what Purdue can do from the three-point line. I mean, they're the fourth. They went into the game the fourth best three-point shooting team in the country, percentage-wise. So when Purdue started 0 for 7, you just kind of felt like, okay, water is eventually going to find its level here. And when that happens, uh, there's probably a good chance that the route is going to be on because outside of the first three minutes of the game where Purdue was not very good defensively, not very good at all, I think Indiana scored eight points in the first three minutes. And, and all eight of those points, I believe, were at the rim where they got the ball into the paint. Outside of that, I mean, Purdue was really good defensively after that, that little three-minute start to the game. So I kind of felt like, look, if Purdue will just make a perimeter shot and just kind of, uh, again, allow water to start finding its level, they're probably gonna they're probably gonna win this game and win it easily just because I thought Purdue was doing a good job defensively. So that was it for me. You know, I think Purdue ended up shooting thirty eight percent, I think, from three for the game, and normally they're at forty percent. So they were right at their average basically. But yeah, that was I know that's that's a simple and kind of almost a silly answer, but you start over seven and you're like, okay, this can't continue. Indiana's hanging around right now because Purdue can't make a three. As soon as Purdue makes a couple of threes. Uh, it's probably going to really turn heavily into the favor of Purdue, and, and that's what happened. Rob Blackman is our guest. He is the radio play-by-play voice of the Purdue men's basketball program. Rob, it sounds crazy to say this because Edie has put up such prolific numbers, right? But there have been games of late. The Wisconsin game comes to mind, and to an extent, part of the Indiana game, where he hasn't been necessarily like the vintage feed him every time because he can't be stopped level Zach Eady. You might disagree with that a little bit, but but in terms of what I'm about to say, maybe it'll make more sense. Is it good for Purdue heading down the home stretch that they have possessions where they have to be non-reliant on Zach Eady? Oh, I think that's absolutely dead on. Um, and I, I have the numbers in front of me, Jake, just because I'm kind of a stat nerd, so and I knew this interview was going to take place, but you look at that game against Wisconsin, you know, Zach only took 13 shots. He, he didn't see the ball a whole bunch. Uh, and it's not because he was getting fouled all the time either. I mean, he only had eight foul shots in that game, which for him is a low number. Um, he had 15 shots against Indiana. Now, 16 free throws against Indiana. My point being, uh, yes, uh, there were many a games last year where Zach was getting 23-24 shots a game, uh, which if he was making said shots, you felt pretty good about yourself. If he was not, uh, and the rest of the team then wasn't contributing, you really felt like Purdue was in a big in, a, in, a, in trouble in a big way. So, yeah, I don't uh, I don't see anything wrong with uh, with other guys having to make plays. I mean, Braden Smith, uh, you know, you look at the numbers he put up against uh, against Wisconsin and now Indiana. I mean, he had back to back nineteen point games. Um, uh, and I think nine rebounds in one, six in another. So uh, if he can give you that type of offense, and then Lance was really good against Wisconsin, 20 points, uh, he, wasn't, he wasn't great against Indiana. But, yes, uh, look, look we, what happened in the NCAA tournament in the first-round game? Uh, Purdue couldn't get, couldn't get Zach Eady going because they were running a quadruple team at him, and no one else was helping. So all of a sudden, you're in big trouble if you're Purdue. So, yes, I would say – uh, Any time that you can get offense from someone out and not name Zach Eady, it makes you feel a little bit better about your chances as you kind of progress through the season here. Voice of the Boilermakers, Rob Blackman, joins us. 
Rob, I was older than I'm proud of when I realized the narrative about Big Ten officials officiating games is actually wrong because they have different officials from different conferences uh, officiate games to rotational basis thing. But there's always the perception that the Big Ten is officiated differently, which I would argue there's some truth to that. It feels like the tournament is a much more faster paced animal at times. And the stats will show you that the Big Ten has struggled historically the last 20, 25 years with Michigan State being the lone national champion, this question might go a little bit deeper than Purdue. And I know this is a narrative question, but when you look around the Big Ten, you look at the Boilermakers, are you at all worried, not in the first round, but just that with how wide open some of this season feels, big picture, that stylistic contrast that occurs when you get to the tournament might rear its ugly head, might rear its ugly head yet again. Maybe not for Purdue, but for the Big Ten like it has in years past. Yeah, good question, and I think the answer, uh, well, I don't think, I know the answer is yes. There is always that concern, especially when you see officials that you never see. Um, And I'm talking about guys that are, you know, strictly West Coast guys or, you know, Pac-12 guys or maybe they only work in the the Mountain West or whatever it might be, and all of a sudden you see one of those guys in the NCAA tournament who hasn't officiated Big Ten basketball all season or maybe ever, uh, that is quite a that's quite a contrast in officiating as far as that style of play that the Big Ten has. Now, this this speaks specifically for Purdue. Yeah, are they equipped for that? Well, so yeah, I, w- I would say this year, yes, much better than last. And it goes back to what we just talked about earlier: the fact that Purdue can now find points in transition because of the Lance Jones effect. And Matt Painter's talked about this. Purdue got really stagnant, especially in February and March of last year because the only time Purdue could score was in half-court offense. Purdue was getting no easy buckets in transition. So you were constantly trying to score against a set defense. And that does, you know, that, that can be a negative sometimes. It was certainly a negative against Fairleigh Dickinson. When you are constantly having to try to score every single one of your points against a set defense in the half-court. Um, again, Purdue, at least to this point in the season, I know we still have a ways to go here, but that doesn't seem to be a problem with this team. This team can find fast break points uh, uh, much better than they have had uh, been able to do in the past. So I do think that Purdue better equipped this year for, indeed, if that type of uh, scenario uh, rears its ugly head. Uh, but, I, yes, I do agree that, uh, it, look, that officiating, man, I'm, I'm telling you, and coaches talk about this all the time, you get in that NCAA tournament, a lot of things have to go your way, especially in, in games where the two teams are fairly equal. And one of the things you need to go your way is the officiating. Uh, whether that's a bad call that happens to go your way or, or, or however it might work. But it is, it is a concern, and it is something that needs to be talked about and uh, doesn't necessarily mean that the officials are doing a bad job either. I'm not saying that. But I am saying that you get a couple, three officials working your game that haven't seen you all season and aren't familiar with your style of play, uh, it, it can work against you at times, absolutely. Rob Blackman, voice of the Boilermakers. When it comes to Braden Smith, which more impresses you and which has he shown more improvement and maturity? His ability to get into operating areas in the mid-range game and hit a jumper for them to to open things up a little bit or just his on-court moxie and floor general status of being able to know when to facilitate and know when to kind of back out a little bit. Yeah, the answer would be number two in that scenario. And I would add on to that, Jake, the fact that he's playing 36 minutes a game in Big Ten games. 
uh, and he does not look to be wearing down either. I mean, what a luxury to have not only your point guard, who seems to, for the most part, be making all of the right decisions um, all the time, 95% of the time maybe, and then know that you never have to take him off the floor. <laughs> he, never, he never gets in foul trouble. Uh, he never seems to be winded. He never looks like he's getting worn down physically or mentally or emotionally. So you get to play in 36, 36 and a half minutes a game. I mean, what a luxury to have for Matt Painter. Uh, so, yes, I would, I would answer uh, if I had a, if it was A and B there, I would take B, and then I would add the fact that he's in such great shape physically that that's also been a huge reason why he's had such a great season so far. Rob, where does this group still need to learn about itself? I feel like a year ago we were always pointing to the guards needing to continue to grow game by game and whether or not that would cost them. And I can't stress enough, guys like Braden Smith and Fletcher Lawyer, you're exactly right. Lance Jones deserves his flowers, what he's done as a portal candidate to arrive here and give them whether they need a bucket big after a little lull or whether it's just a nice back-breaking basket he's there defensively as well but the growth of Fletcher Lawyer and Braden Smith year over year a full testament to Matt Painter and his staff we P.T. Thompson on last week talking about it as director of player development that it's been incredible to see their transformation this offseason all that said where do they still need to, to learn or figure things out about themselves or is this as good of a finished product as you could hope for with seven games to play well, certainly there are rooms for uh, room for improvement. Uh, improvement, I beg your pardon. And I would start with the turnovers. And Matt Painter would tell you the same. You know, right now Purdue's at just under twelve a game. That's not a terrible number. The problem is the two games that Purdue has lost: Nebraska and Northwestern. Uh, and we can go back to Fairleigh Dickinson. Quite frankly, let's just talk about the last three games Purdue has lost. Um, the turnover number was up around sixteen, seventeen, eighteen. Uh, that is just too many lost possessions in a game, uh, especially when you consider Purdue is going to win the rebounding battle. I mean, you can you can take that to Vegas. I mean, they, they've only lost the rebounding battle once all season. Uh, Purdue is plus, I think, 11 or something, plus 12 maybe in the rebound game. So you know you're getting 11 or 12 extra possessions a game rebounding. It, that's just how it is. But you can't then turn around and give those 11 and 12 back with 15, 16 turnovers. You're just you're killing yourself there. So. That's where I would start with that. Uh, if there's been a common denominator uh, in the three losses, the last three, it has been that, the multiple turnovers. The three-point shooting, I think, last year was certainly a much bigger deal than it is this year. You know, last year, Purdue was a 32% three-point shooting team. If you just look at the month of February and March of last year, that number got dipped down into the high 20s. Purdue just was not a good three-point shooting team. They just weren't. Even though it's mostly the same guys back this year from last year, but now, Purdue's the, I think I mentioned sir, Purdue's the fourth-best three-point shooting team in the country, at least going into last weekend. So I don't see that problem rearing its ugly head again. Knock on wood. I, look, I could be wrong, but I don't. That was a major concern last year, turnovers and three-point shooting. This year, I think it's been limited to the turnovers. If Purdue can just take care of the ball, they're going to score the ball at a high enough clip. They're going to rebound the ball at a high enough clip. They're going to defend well enough that I think they're going to have a chance to, to win, you know, every game that they're in. Rob. Life is full of things to manage. Your work, your family, your plans, and your treatment. Consider Kesimpta, Ofatumumab 20-milligram injection. You can take it yourself from the comfort of home. If you're ready for something different, ask your healthcare provider about Kesimpta and check out the details at kesimpta.com. 
Brought to you by Novartis Pharmaceuticals Corporation. Welcome back to Dealing Together. First caller? I bought three sweaters to get the fourth free. Oh, you got fleeced. Next caller? I traded my old Samsung at AT&T for a new Samsung Galaxy S24 Plus and chose my plan. That's not a bad deal. It is not. Our best smartphone deals. Your choice of plan. Learn how to get the new Samsung Galaxy S24 Plus with Galaxy AI on us with eligible trade-in. AT&T. Connecting changes everything. Offers vary by device. Subject to change. S24 plus 256 gigabyte offer available for a limited time. Terms and restrictions apply. See att.com slash Samsung for details. Every year, Rob Blackman is our guest in the NCAA tournament. A lot of times, if teams make a deep run, so we're going to play, we're going to play like the whatever, like a, the hypothetical game here. Okay, you ready? So we've right. got to we're going to we're going to put ourselves into like an imaginary world. Okay, so in our imaginary world that I'm coming up with, it's late March and Purdue is still alive in the tournament. And we're looking back at the four games that they've won to get them to the final four. And always this happens where teams make a run like that. There is some game where things are just out of sync and out of rhythm and an unexpected hero arises. It happened with Indiana the other night with Anthony Leal. And we had him on the show because the unsung hero that his number was finally called and he delivered. If that's the situation with Purdue, if we're talking to you just before the Final Four and we say, I'll tell you what, that regional semifinal game, boy, they look dead to rights. And then all of a sudden, a guy who hadn't had his number called a lot rose to the occasion and made big plays for Purdue. The guy that has that capability within him, but it hasn't been shown just yet, is who? Trey Kaufman Wren. And here's why I say that. He has had his moments this year when he – as crazy as this sounds, has been the best player on the floor. Now, it hasn't happened a lot, but it has happened. I think back to that home game against Illinois where he had, I think it was 23 points and five, maybe four or five rebounds in that game. Uh, he sh- And that's against a high-level opponent now. I, I mean, that's Illinois. That, this isn't some mid-major that comes in for a guarantee game. This was against a high-major conference opponent who has you scouted pretty well. He would be that X-factor guy. I, 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 look, we're, we're 20, gosh, 24 games into the season. You pretty much know at this point what you're getting from Zach and Braden and Fletcher and Lance. The one guy that's been inconsistent, but when he's been playing at his highest level, that really, really makes Purdue, in my opinion, unbeatable, is Trey Kaufman-Wren. If he, if he has the game type of game, but in the scenario you're talking about, like he had against Illinois, or he had last year, uh, the one game that Zach Eady did not play, he, he got to be the starting five and had, I think, 23 or 25 points against New Orleans. If he has that type of a game, then I'm not, I'm not quite sure anyone can beat Purdue. Not, not if, he's, if he gets going at that level, at that magical level. So I, I would go with Trey Kaufman-Rim. And along those same lines, a guy that last year was obviously an integral part of Purdue and this year is more complimentary, but has that capability also, would be Caleb first. Rob, can you... Can you speak to, and I'm going to say professionalism, although I guess maybe it is that now, for lack of a better phrase, but just the maturity for a Caleb first to be willing to adapt to or accept a role that differs than what it was a year ago? Yeah, um, I, I would I would use all those words that you used to, to, to describe him. And I would also say just, I would also add this, he also is a very smart kid, and he is intelligent enough to know that he is the backup five. And I don't know if there's a worse position in all of college basketball to be the backup five 
than to be the backup to Zach Eady <laughs> because you're not getting in the game very much because obviously you're not taking that guy out of the game very much. So he understands that is his role. Um, I have not spoken to him about this, so I'm not going to try to pretend to speak for him on this issue. But I can only assume there probably is a little bit of frustration because, yes, he was – look, he's a starter. I mean – I know. He, he's, he started games for Purdue, started a lot of games last year. And was a big scorer for them at times, right? Yes, and but what has happened, uh, you know, the, in the offseason, the coaching staff decided Purdue's a better team if they move Trey Kaufman-Wren to the four and play alongside Zach at the five. That had been flip-flopped last year. Trey was the backup five, and Caleb got to be the four. Well, Purdue's obviously, and it's worked. I mean, you, I mean, you can't argue with 22 and two. The problem is the odd man out is Caleb first because, again, you're the backup to, to Zach Eady. So all the things you said and then just the fact that, he look, he's a smart dude. He gets it. He understands if you're the backup to Zach Eady, you're probably not playing very much. So uh, it is what it is, uh, but I'm sure he's still having the time of his life. Hell, you're on a team ranked second in the country. So, uh, yeah, yeah, that, that's a good point by you, Jake. Voice the Boilermakers, Rob Blackman is our guest. Rob, I realize that we're picking at straws here, nitpicking, and that's basically all you can do with a team that's as talented as Purdue. But I feel like they have proven at this point in the season, and correct me if I'm wrong, but they are capable of surviving bad Zach Eady games, if there is such a thing, because bad games for Zach Eady is still getting 16 and 12, and, you know, it's just he's a human mm-hmm. wrecking ball. If a bad Zach Eady game does happen... Are they more susceptible to turning the basketball over like you've mentioned because they're still trying to force feed him or falling in love with the three-point ball and maybe having an off night there? I would probably say even a third option, and that is uh, force feeding the ball where it's not getting turned over, but Zach isn't making shots. So it's it's working like a turnover because the other team's getting the defensive rebounds right and, and breaking out, busting out, going the other end. Look, a lot of teams like to try to get in transition as much as they can against Purdue because that means big old Zach Eadie's probably not anchored under the basket at the other end. That's why so many teams, if you watch teams closely, even if they're not fast-break teams by nature, they really try to push the tempo against Purdue only because they don't want big Zach standing down there under the bucket. Uh, So that is where Purdue certainly could be susceptible. Again, it wouldn't go in the score sheet or the stat sheet as a turnover, but it really would feel like one if Zach was having one of those games where he just can't, you know, throw it in the ocean, which, again, is very, very rare. And the other team's taking a ball off the backboard, getting out in transition, able to get easy baskets because uh, Zach's still, you know, still at half court trying to run back to play defense. I would say that was where Purdue would be the most susceptible. Rob, lastly, trivia question for you. I'm ready. I think you're going to know the answer. Uh-oh. Zach Eady has a chance to become the first and only the second ever repeat winner of the Wooden Award since what other person has accomplished that feat? Well, I, I think, Jake, you'll, you can double-check me here, but I think that's actually not an easy answer because I think if you're, if you're going unanimous, unanimous, the last time it happened, I think the only time it's happened was Bill Walton. Well, just repeat winner, just somebody to win two years in a row. Uh, Okay, so if we're going just, so you didn't have to be the unanimous. So, so Walton, this is the Wooden Award, which is which started in '77. Okay, gotcha, gotcha. So Zach Eady is the current Wooden Award winner, and he he has a chance to become only the second person to repeat. Who is the only person to repeat as the Wooden Award winner? 
The only reason I mention it, Rob, is because this guy's going to be on our show on Wednesday because he was the most valuable player of the only All-Star game to be played in Indianapolis as a Houston Rocket in 1985. Ralph Sampson. That is correct, my man. Ralph Sampson. <laughs> I was I was teetering until you said Houston Rocket. And I'm like, oh, okay, now I know the answer. Yes. And, and by the way, also punched a former Purdue player, Jerry Seesting, in the uh, 86 <laughs> yeah. NBA Finals, but we won't go there, right? Uh, familiar with that uh, highlight. I have seen that one on YouTube uh, here and again. <laughs> that is correct. <laughs> Thus, Jim Peterson started an NBA Finals game and is still in a bar in Galveston telling somebody about it. Um <laughs> <laughs> Rob, appreciate the time as always, man. Okay, see you again. Rob Blackman, the radio voice of the Purdue Boilermakers. Yeah, Jim Peterson right now is like, no, I'm telling you, I started in the NBA Finals. <laughs> sure he did, pal.